At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. If you're really upset that people are calling eSports a sport, if you're a huge Colin Coward fan and you subscribe to what he's saying, well, you're just going to continue to get more mad as time goes on. I will be there to document your you being mad on the Internet. I will let everyone know how mad you are online. I will help uh, amplify that message to all of my followers so we can all laugh at you. Um, and it is a great time for uh, video, video games and esports. You better get in now or we're just going to leave you behind. Mm, and I'll just add, if you're a Colin Cowherd fan and listening to this, find another podcast because I don't think I want you. <laughs> Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we're talking esports. And if you don't know what they are, we're talking organized multiplayer video game competitions, particularly between professional players, either as individuals or as teams. Now, I know next to nothing about them, but in this time of coronavirus, uh, these are the sports people who are actually playing right now. And so we want to get a better idea of what this is all about. And make no mistake about it, eSports, in my opinion, is a sport. If you disagree, you can hit me up at edgesports at gmail.com. But think about it like this. eSports requires reflexes, concentration, and the manipulation of a machine. In other words, if NASCAR is a sport, then eSports is a sport. And we have two experts we're going to talk to. We're going to talk to Rod Slasher Breslau. He's an esports and gaming journalist and the co-founder of ESPN Sports. And Erin Ashley Simon, she's the host for Cheddar Esports and the Grassroots Podcast. Roots is spelled R-O-U-T-E-S. So let's get them on the line right now. Erin Ashley Simon and Rod Slasher Breslau. I just wanted to start, I mean, just how are you, uh, you and Rod, how are you doing? Where are you? Uh, how are you filling your days right now in the context of Corona? What are you doing? Oh, man. I mean, adjusting, self-quarantining, um, keeping myself uh, as busy as possible, just mentally and emotionally keeping myself, you know, on a good track. Um, I mean, the good thing is, you know, uh, with, with both the esports and gaming industries, and, and the businesses that are associated with them, they're still moving. So there's still opportunities and there's still work and there's still news at least, which is really good. Um, but just like everyone else, you know, even though the, the esports and gaming uh, communities have been able to adjust better than some other industries, you know, we're all going through it. So just taking it day by day. Mm. What about you, Rod? 
Yeah, same. Um, you know, as you mentioned before the call, I'm in New York City as well, and this is kind of the epicenter um, of things, along with Aaron, who's been here for a long time, too. So it's been harder here, you know, compared to every, everywhere else. But I will say, um, personally, as a gamer, uh, nothing's really changed from before the worldwide pandemic and then currently. Um, I didn't go outside before. I'm not going outside now. Um, when this passes, I probably still won't go outside. So the, everything is kind of the same before, now, and after. So it's actually not too bad. I've been able to adjust pretty well. Y- y- y'all saying it's the same, but uh, my, my impression is that maybe it would be exploding, actually, in popularity since so many people are indoors and so much of typical mainstream sports is on hiatus. Is is that incorrect? I mean, has it grown exponentially in the last month? Uh, it's certainly, definitely, there are parts of it that have definitely grown a lot. I mean, Steam, which was the biggest platform for PC games, um, has hit its peak uh, user number ever. It's over 20 million now, and that's higher. Uh, Counter-Strike, which is one of the biggest games um, in the esports space that we have public data available, that hit its player peak um, of over a million concurrent players. Um, last week, and then there are several other games that have had huge numbers um, just within the last week or two, including Twitch, which is the main uh, platform that everyone watches video games on. That has had its traffic up across the world. So there's definitely data that we have had in the last week or two that has shown that just like with the consumption of Netflix and television, the consumption of both playing and watching video games has been huge across the board um, with everybody stuck inside. Mm. And then and then to add to that, too, um, also, the, you know, the reason why we're seeing some of the viewership numbers going up, too, is because we're starting to see that traditional sports and traditional companies are or non-endemic companies are now utilizing gaming in uh, components of esports or just esports as content because traditional sports is not here. Like there's no, there's no matches, there's no NBA games, there's no NFL games. Uh, so then now they're trying to figure out ways to um, supplement that, especially for TV. So that's why now, you know, we just saw with E-NASCAR and F1 um, and with even with the F1 race, it, that had immense numbers. Um, but that, I mean, that's also something that goes back to the fact that like esports and gaming has had a lot of the easier transition in terms of going online um, and having competition online, having content online. Um, so you're also starting to see there's a lot of people that are entering into this space. And even like prof- uh, professional athletes, you know, Trey Young tweeting about gaming. Um, you're seeing a lot of, you're seeing a lot from like Myers Leonard, uh, Devin Booker, um, Josh Hart, all these people that there's been some athletes that have already been gaming and, and streaming and stuff like that and being involved in organizations like FaZe Clan. Um, you know, DeMarcus Cousins just announced with Energy. Uh, so we've already had that, but we're seeing a lot more athletes that are entering this space from a content standpoint, from a streaming standpoint and an involvement standpoint, because they don't have anything else to do right now. And so they're looking to, to gaming and looking to esports for assistance right now. Wow. So <clears throat> for the, for the ultimate uh, layperson in all of this, like how big a business can, can you quantify how big a business esports is right now? Either one, Rod, Aaron, is is there a way to even get your head around it? Um, I'm sorry, I was trying to was trying to go back and forth. Maybe do one, two, two, one, two, two. Um, it's kind of difficult just because um, it's always been 
one of the harder things for esports and gaming is to track everything as well as TV. I mean, TV has had like Nielsen ratings, which have been kind of standard across um, the sports landscape for a long time to determine um, viewership. But in esports, there's been different ways to track viewership, and you even have the biggest companies like Riot and Activision Blizzard who, you know, pick different statistics, whether it's like live and current viewers or like total amount of people that have watched or now they have a thing called average watch time, which has been in collaboration with Nielsen um, in the last two to try to be more like traditional sports. So in like a more official case, um, they're they're trying to make the case that things um, are up. And I think they've done a pretty good job to show that the the data supports that gaming has increased. Mm. Yeah, Aaron, yeah. How, how do you answer that question? I guess relatives even ask, like, how, how big a business is this that you're involved in? I mean, in terms of, like, how big, um, what I will say is that more recently, um, before just everything happened, we've been seeing a lot of brands that have entered into the space that typically have taken a while to come to the space or um, they don't, you know, we don't quite associate their brand with this space. I mean, look, we had Louis Vuitton and their partnership over with uh, the League of Legends uh, competitive scene as well as Riot Games. And when you think of Louis Vuitton, you think high-end brand. Like, you don't think of associating a brand of such to the likes of esports. Um, so you're starting to see a lot of companies from that that are starting to invest. Um, t- a team called T1, um, they have a, a deal with Nike. Um, so I would say in terms of like how big it's getting, not just on the viewership number from what Slasher said, or, I mean, I'll say Rod, sorry, I'm so used to calling him Slasher. Uh, but also you're seeing a lot of these different companies and brands that are starting to get involved. And then also in terms of viewership numbers, you right now we're starting to see more of the comp- uh, competitive tournaments that are being added onto TV. Um, so that's now an additional ratings number, um, even before, you know, they were doing that, but even now they're doing it even more. And so, um, I, I always wonder too, you know, the numbers are going up on platforms like Twitch. And then I also wonder if having, um, having these self quarantines are going to increase the numbers even momentarily, even for TV. But I think the biggest question is once everything goes back to normal, you know, it, with all these traditional brands and all these traditional leagues getting involved, is it, are they still going to be just as involved or is it something that they're going to go back to being normal and just dropping the gaming content? I'm just, that's something that I've always been interested about, but if they keep it and they still keep the gaming content or just the esports content on TV for on a, on a, like regularly for what they're doing right now, I, it's going to, the numbers are going to increase. So I just hope that that's a, that's a factor that's going to be implemented, even though on Twitch it's, it's thriving and it's doing well. Um, my thing is, is the TV ratings, the TV numbers and increasing that and what the traditional companies or non-endemic brands and traditional sports companies are going to be continuing to doing moving forward. Mm. You know, they just announced, of course, uh, 4 million up. I think it's going to end up being close to 4 million uh, job losses over the last month uh, in this country. Is there any discussion in the gaming world about, um, economic recession and how that could affect business and sponsors uh, for the gaming community going forward? Well, I mean, there you know, people have had job losses and it is going to affect the gaming community too. And of course, there have been several big esports events which have had to be canceled. So although the, the gaming community in esports definitely has a huge opportunity and has showcased it by it's the only uh, sport in the world that's able to do things on the internet. 
because it is based on the internet. So it is a smooth transition back there. But of course, you know, it is affecting the gaming industry in a negative way to have people lose their jobs, um, just like uh, other industries. And at the same time, you have a bunch of game developers um, who are now experiencing a little, little bit more crunch because they are having to lay off people and they're trying to get their games out at the same time um, as, you know, everything is happening. But there is a, more resilience within, because of uh, everything that is connected to the internet, um, and that is such a huge portion of our industry, it, it is a little bit more resilient than all of the other industries, uh, just because now that everyone is having to work from home, um, it is all mandated and connected through the internet in the first place. So having the gaming industry be so centered around the core principle of how everyone in the world is now working in that vehicle, it, it has been a little bit um, of a smoother transition for people to work from home. And a good portion of people already in the industry are already working from home. I think that was, that's been... Um, that's been able to smooth things over, especially that there's so many independent contractors, um, people that are creating their own content and streamers and YouTubers are the two best examples of that, that have been doing that for such a long time that their industry has been a little bit more unchanged than your traditional um, workspace. Mm. And then uh, another thing that I've noticed too is, you know, there are organizations and companies that are having to make adjustments and figure out, you know, however long of a business plan that they have to establish because there are some brands that they have sponsorships and partnerships and just certain companies have media rights that they themselves are still trying to figure out like how do we keep our company afloat and so people are hesitant to spend money right now or to give money so that's another adjustment that we're seeing in terms of you know whether it is uh streamers who are sponsored by certain companies or, you know, organizations or orgs themselves, esports orgs that are, that had certain things in the works that they, from a business standpoint that they were working on, but now, you know, they have to rethink their strategy and all their entire business plan because no one was, no one was, no company had had a plan for what we're going through right now. Mm -hmm. So you're also seeing a lot of companies that are doing that. I think primarily, you know, a lot of companies, would want to try and keep as many people go like on board and try to keep as many things going as possible. Um, but right now, you know, there's been for some aspects of it, there's been a little bit slow down in terms of like, what are they doing? Like what, what content are they putting out? Or, you know, do they bring another influencer or streamer or pro player? They probably, some of them probably have been halting hold, uh, on that. Um, so what I will say is like, you know, like, like, like Rod said, um, there's been an adjustment and even some of the companies, like even some people who got laid off or um, people who had to make that adjustment, like myself, um, there have been various people in the community that have reached out or, and try to help in some shape or form because there are some companies that are still going because they're online. So it's interesting because certain aspects have transitioned well, uh, but then, you know, like with any company, no one planned for us to be self-quarantined. No one planned for this coronavirus outbreak. So everyone is still making their necessary adjustments as they're going. Mm. You know, one of the things we do on this podcast primarily is we talk about like the politics of sports. Um, you know, a sport like Major League Baseball tends to be very buttoned up and conservative. The NBA uh, more more liberal and open. The NFL tends to be split along racial lines and political attitudes. Is, is there a politics to, to esports? <laughs> yeah, just like everything in life. 
<laughs> I mean, is, is it split? Is it is there something uniform? Does it attract more libertarian minded people? Like who? What 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 is the primary politic in esports? Would you say? You can go ahead for a second. All right, I know you have a lot to say for that, Rod. Um, so with okay, so the the politics side of it, just like any industry, right? There's there's politics to business. Um, there's politics in terms of even just certain companies and what information they want to put out, what information they don't. Politics to like we've seen certain issues with crunch time. Um, we've seen even certain lawsuits, certain people, um, just like with any other industry, certain people, they receive, uh, there's like a little bit of nepotism that we see in the industry as well in terms of opportunities for people, right? Um, there are some people that receive a lot more opportunities. And, and, and granted, there are people who worked hard and received, you know, whether it's from a broadcast standpoint, content standpoint, anything like that, they, there is a little bit of nepotism in that aspect where, you know, this is an industry, and as someone who's entered in this industry, um, it's a little bit harder to just find an opportunity right away. It's, it's just like other companies and, and other businesses. It's, there's that aspect of like knowing a friend who knows a friend to get that job opportunity of work. Um, then, there, you know, even with like the information that Rod puts out, right? Rod is someone who breaks a lot of news and, and, and information within this scene. Um, but even with that, there, there are people who try to prevent that information to come out just like any other. And, and I would say when it comes to the gaming industry more specifically, they are really more tight-knit and like tight-knit in the sense of like they want to hold on to the information as much as possible. And it's a bigger problem when information is leaked compared to like traditional sports. When, when, when there's a leaked information in terms of a pro player leaving a team or going somewhere, it's not as much big of a deal um, compared to like if Rod breaks news on the new, on the new game for Rod Games um, or breaks the news that, that a streamer is staying on Twitch and is signing a new contract to Twitch, um, there is the, the political aspect of that too. Uh, so I, I would say, I mean... The gaming industry, esports industry, they have similar politics to just like traditional sports, but I know that there's a little more in depth. And, and Rod has been in the industry for a very long time and, and more than I have. Um, and I know that he goes through some stuff, but like those are some of the things that I've either seen myself or I myself have gone through the political landscape of, of esports and gaming, even from like a media perspective. Mm. Um, Rod? I mean, the industry is, it is very young. Um, it is a very young industry. Most of the like CEOs or people that run the different leagues are like within their thirties or like early forties. It is not more like traditional sports where most of the commissioners or the owners are, you know, in their fifties, seventies or eighties, besides the new traditional sports owners that bought into sports like the, you know, the Mets and the Patriots and then, um, the last few years. And that has made, um, probably generally, the political landscape a little bit more liberal just because people are younger. And at the same time, we don't really have like a huge outspoken Trump commissioner, like a Dana White or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't really exist um, in esports. I know that most of the game developers um, who are the ones that ultimately run the leagues and have taken more control. I mean, traditionally, as esports has grown up, the game developers who made these games never actually cared about esports and like competitive gaming they just wanted to make video games there in the early 2000s or like when street fighter came out in the 90s and those games evolved uh from the community and the players to be worldwide international competitions and now with the industry being huge all the game developers have kind of um 
they've taken control a lot of the time, not everybody, but they've taken control of the leagues and building them up and, um, and building the leagues to be, you know, these huge sports. So they have complete ownership. And with that, you know, game developers, because they're trying to cast the widest net possible, because they're trying to sell the most amount of games possible, just like we are, just like everybody else in capitalism, they're not trying to, you know, split hairs and split the waters based on who the, you know, the leader of the, of the company and how they feel politically and what, and what they do. So, you know, game developers have always been pretty good, at least of not showing who they are like really leaning for and supporting. And most of the time in the gaming industry, at least from uh, a higher end perspective, it does tend to generally be um, probably a more left leaning just because most entertainment forms, at least, to me, it feels like most entertainment forms are left-leaning. But there is still, um, you know, it, it, gaming especially, it is very white and uh, male-dominated, at least here in America. And that does cause issues definitely culturally and racially. There's definitely a lot of contention, um, you know, you could talk about within the, uh, the atmosphere of gaming culture and how that leads to competitive gaming culture and how that leads into esports culture, there definitely is things to be concerned about and things to um, to talk about that need to be fixed. But I wouldn't say there's mm-hmm. um, as much of an issue or things to talk about from a larger level. Again, we don't have a Dana White. We do have examples where the BlitchCon situation for Activision Blizzard um, and China with them mm-hmm. uh, suspending him uh, for his comments in Hong Kong. So you do have things that are happening and that like aspects like that, where uh, riot games, who is making league of legends and this new game called variant, they're fully owned by a Chinese company, 100% and Activision Blizzard has um, Chinese investors. So all, way before anything of the coronavirus, you know, the uh, everything with the NBA and the censorship also applied to esports even more so. So in terms of like that end of the political spectrum, there's definitely influence and, um, and issues that go on there. I think because it is a young audience and everything is online, they like, if you're the NFL, or if you're the NBA, you can, it's not like you can ignore the internet. And I actually think the NBA has done a fantastic job of like leading the world on a whole lot of things. Like they were the first sport, mm-hmm. almost for, first big event to cancel in, you know, in the entire world. And I think they've actually done a pretty good job, but they don't necessarily have to like, answer to the internet um, as much because they're multi-billion dollar owner, you know, or owners and it's a, like a larger thing where esports and gaming, all of, of course, these companies are, are huge billion dollar companies too, but the, their entire consumer base, their user base is online all the time. And it's gamers are already bad about a bunch of other things. So when they're really mad, like it blitz like Activision Blizzard has been getting bombarded and hit from me and the media and journalists and players and colleagues of mine, and especially the fan base for a good four, five, six months now. I mean, they've been getting hit on a lot of ways for a lot of different things, but people are not going to forget how Activision Blizzard handled the blitz situation. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you both about uh, the issue of Hong Kong, uh, the protest movement in Hong Kong and how it relates to China, because one of the things you saw in the NBA was a lot of apprehension on behalf of of outspoken coaches and players, or I should say normally outspoken coaches and players when it came to China because of how much of a cash cow China is for the NBA. Was there is there a generalized reaction uh, in the esports community? Uh, to Chinese censorship, or or was it was it much was it tentative because of 
what China means to the esports uh, community globally? Um, I will say there is a little bit of the difference in terms of player responses. Um, like I'm a huge fan of LeBron James. I think he's done pretty mm-hmm. much his entire career a fantastic job of almost handling every situation. You know, he'll create a school for kids himself, and he has pretty much an unblemished record in terms of like his personal life and like everything going on, right? But one of these small hiccups, which I distinctly remember, is his response to um, the situation in Hong Kong and how he didn't want to make commentary and how this basically goes back to him not wanting to lose shoe sales or he doesn't want the NBA to lose you know, media sales because that's going to affect his bottom line. It's going to affect the amount of money um, that he makes. Now, I'm not sure if, it, if with esports or with gamers, they just don't have nearly, not even close to as much of a financial interest in um in the situation which is like why they handled it differently but for me like the gamers of the of the community and the professional players and all of the casters all pretty much like all of them condemned um the way that Activision Blizzard handled the situation and with the way that with with chung was treated and with the way that um you know blizzard and other companies were uh, co-towing to china so it seemed like even the players had a really good response to to that and defending Butch Chong and supporting Hong Kong. And it even went so much further as, you know, um, people attending memes and making signs and going to BlizzCon. Um, and the, the kid that went viral at the Clippers game did the same thing at, at BlizzCon, too. And that's very, you know, core part of the gaming community is when you're upset at something, not only do you yell a lot, but you make memes and you make fun of it and you, just, you push it as hard. Um, as you can, but I thought the like the players and the pros actually did a better job in some ways um, than like the NBA like players. Even though I think that you know generally pretty pretty supportive across the board. Mm. And yeah, yeah, and I also think that gamers themselves also, as they were responding to to situations with Activision Blizzard and, and uh, Blitzstrom, they also were making sure that political people didn't try to utilize the situation as another um, reason to point fingers at the esports and gaming community. I mean, we've seen that before when, uh, you know, Trump tried to state that the rise in mass shootings or what's contributing to mass shootings is video games. And we started to see within, uh, within that six month period of time, how video games were, were, were tr- like, the political people were trying to use video games as a bad thing. Um, interesting situation, though, with this Blitzchunk ban is that we've seen some pol- uh, politicians like Mark Rubio, they spoke out against the ban and even co-signed a letter with uh, other politicians themselves, which we thought was interesting um, from a media standpoint. Um, so I think that with that, too, you know, like, like what Rod said, the, the gaming community is a younger community. And typically, you know, we're seeing across the board um, younger individuals are more likely to, uh, you know, are speaking up more often um, compared to the older generation that, that is typically more conservative. And considering the industry is a little bit more um, leaning towards liberal, um, uh, this is something, you know, whether they're speaking up against a, a publishing company or whether they're speaking up against just what's going on, um, the gaming community is, is very vocal. And even even when, you know, even when the Blitzchung ban happened and, and they tried to silence everything, gamers are still going on Twitch. And, and, and dropping emotes um, in support of Blitzchung and just going against and protesting what's going on over there. Um, so across the board, 
it's been, you know, uh, the gamers typically, whether it's good or bad, right? Whether it is they just want to speak their mind and say um, whatever they want to say on, on social media or say what they want on Twitch, you know, they're going to speak up. You know, there have been some pro players that have spoken about other things too and not just with Chung Bang. You know, we see the likes of even like Sonic Fox who speaks up and says, yeah, I'm, I'm queer, I'm a furry, you know, and I'm one of the one of the best FGC fighting game community players. Um, and even with that, right, just even him have being represented as the best esports player of the year and being all that was a monumental moment. And even during that, he can, uh, excuse me, they, they can uh, continuously speak up on such matters. Um, so across the board, you know, whether it's from political standpoint, whether it is a, a social matter, uh, we do see gamers and even pro players that, that speak up. Um, there are still opportunities, and like I said, there's still areas that need to be improved on, uh, whether it's representation, um, dealing with uh, sexism, racism, and et cetera. But those aren't those are things that are being improved on. They're not like the base issues, but gamers are, no matter what across the board, no matter what the issue are, is, uh, we're seeing various people that are continuously stepping up and speaking on it, whether you know these companies want them to or not. Wow. Um, now, what about, uh, I mean, if, if we're talking about players trying to speak out or organize themselves, are there organizations of gamers, players associations, anything on a regional or, or national basis so they can voice their, their views collectively? Does that exist? Yeah, this is uh, this has been put in motion in the last few years in a more um, professional way. The Counter-Strike has a, a players association as of last year, and the League of Legends also has a player association, um, which started within the last two years. The One of the issues with the League of Legends one is that it's run directly by Riot. They do have an independent arbitrator, which is um, kind of running that side, but it is looked over by Riot, and that one is really weird. So the only one that is truly in operation is Counter-Strike, and that one even hasn't been as effective because the Counter-Strike ecosystem is so much different than the, um, the ecosystems of the franchise leagues, which are Overwatch and uh, League of Legends, that it hasn't been able to be as effective in um, in what it wants to do. I mean, that has been one of the glaring issues in esports, is that there hasn't been players associations, and that the players generally, have, how things have, have gotten, have gotten a little bit more screwed than everybody else, kind of like, mm-hmm. like everything. Um, you know, the developers have even more control than in traditional sports because nobody owns basketball or football or soccer or whatever. Uh, but in esports, you know, game companies do own their IP and they do own everything because of that. So they have by far the most control here. And then secondary, you have big team owners who have gotten this injection in multi-million dollars in money um, from venture capitalists and sports owners, and they generally have the second most control. So out of those two, then you finally have the players. And on top of it being um, a little bit more skewed towards the IP owners, this is a very young industry with young kids and esports players do not have years of training that like media training that athletes, traditional athletes do. And they're also not making $10 million a year coming out of high school to sign their initial contracts. Although the salaries are going up, you know, across the board as esports gets bigger, you know, all of this has led to the players not having a huge amount of power. And with that, there hasn't been 
these uh, unions either. So it has been a rather new venture in multiple different games, but each of the different games have to set up their own unions. They're all a little bit different, and they're all a little bit slower behind. So it has become a little bit harder for them to get up to speed, although it is, it is, it is coming um, at this time. Mm. Yeah, and I would say part of the reason why we see it coming too is that we're starting to see um, some individuals who have that experience or have the uh, important structural business knowledge that are coming over into this space, whether they're structuring it from the standpoint of um, helping to assist with giving players more, more rights. Um, or, you know, like, for example, we see um, competitive scenes, like they just did a league called Flashpoint where it's team owned. Um, and that's, and that is with the purpose, obviously, of, of giving players and teams more power and more say um, and, ha- and having them more involved. Uh, but then also we're seeing people who are coming from traditional business, traditional sports that are starting to integrate themselves into the business, uh, the business forefront and the structuring uh, of certain aspects of esports, whether it's the leagues themselves um, or we're seeing them and, and getting involved from a legal standpoint in the sense that we're seeing lawyers that are now looking to come over and, and, and assist with having these players and having these young individuals understand contracts because um, uh, bad contracts has been an issue that we've seen across the board and consistently, you know, even with some of the top competitors, the top teams, the top players, you know, we've seen even certain teams that have fallen apart because of the logistical things that they were running behind the scenes that just wasn't, it wasn't good or hearing that they're, you know, they're quote unquote, you know, there are people there screwing others over. Um, but, you know, I think that, with that and, and just with more understanding of some of these, these things within business, um, we're starting to see, like what Rod said, the, the, the development of the player unions, um, some of the more structural uh, business strategies that help and assist with not only the growth of the players, but also the growth of the teams. Um, even some new formats, like, like, for example, the Call of Duty League, Overwatch League, we're starting to see uh, the, the quote-unquote, you know, traditional uh, city-based franchise system, as well as being like a home and away uh, for them. It's the home fan format, which is the closest to what we see with traditional sports in terms of home and away. Uh, we're starting to see that, and that's something that is uh, has been implemented more recently that they're starting to see. But then also with that, that that's also giving opportunities for players to start marketing themselves in their cities and start developing their brands. I think that like with from from what I see with players who are, who are competing, um, they, it was, it's been a situation where it's like, they, this is something that like, like branding is something that they never had to think of. Right. The followings they, they get just from playing a part of the team, being part of the orgs or just being the best or being top or even being top content creators. Uh, but now we're starting to see not only are the pro players and just certain people, uh, within the industry, they're having to adjust in terms of developing their brands, but then we're also even seeing how even some top streamers are adjusting in terms of uh, further, you know, whether it's creating more opportunities or giving them more power in the sense of like power over their own content, power over their own brands. Um, or even, you know, uh, recently um, T1, they just gave Faker and, and Faker is, they, is considered the Michael Jordan of League of Legends. Um, and mm-hmm. even with him, he got a percentage uh, ownership percentage of the company um and but that's not something that we see like vastly across and some like 
he he's the best of the best and he helped to build up that organization through the success of him, the success of the team. Um, so that move was not a surprise. Uh, but you are starting to see that there are certain players that get opportunities where they can have an ownership in the team uh, that they've been with for a very long time um, or that they're having more power in the sense of uh, picking which platform that they want to stream on or what platform that they want to associate themselves with and, and getting the appropriate pay and, and long-term contracts with that. Um, so because everyone wants a piece of the pie when it comes to esports and gaming, um, we are seeing that there's a lot more opportunities for these players, for these kinds of creators, for these streamers to control, you know, what their brand is, what they want to do. But still that legal and contract aspect of it is something that's still a problem. Okay. Yeah, the, the power the power is is shifting, although the game developers have the most control and then like a lot of these big money team owners like a good argument to have, they have the second most control because of how huge individuals have become like Ninja, um, who is, you know, mm -hmm. a bigger household name than like most traditional athletes. So he like as an indiv individual has, you know, raised the entire tide of all individuals um, in the space. So then that they, like he has, he got such a big deal. Um, like choosing between your streaming platform is as big of a like free agency contract as choosing your esports team or your sports team. I mean, he got, you know, from my understanding, between like forty million dollars over two or three years from from Mixer, and that, and, and along with like ten, nine or ten other streamers that all had multi million dollar deals, that has made it easier for all the other streamers to get more money. And you have to remember that the um, like esports and streaming, they are definitely different things. Like esports, streaming, and video games, they're all different things, even though they're all under the one category of gaming, but they're definitely tied together. Like Ninja was a professional gamer full time before he became a full time content creator. He wouldn't be as big as he was if he was never a professional gamer in the first place. Uh, Shroud, another huge uh, streamer who also signed to Mixer, made his name as, again, being a professional Counter-Strike player. That would not have happened if he was not. And so, you know, the industries are definitely um, tied together. Ninja and Shroud doing really well. It makes it easier for everybody else. As Aaron mentioned, Faker getting that contract from T1 and him also having a multi-million dollar um, per year deal for his skills makes it easier for all the other players. And and Tifu, I think, is another great example between him and his litigation between FaZe. FaZe is a huge esports organization, but him as an individual has been able to gain enough power that so he can go toe to toe um, with FaZe in terms of like online following and viewership, and along with having a fan base that will fully support him over like such a huge organization uh, like FaZe. So it has been hard, but individuals have, especially in these last few years as streaming has gotten big and his contracts have gotten up to gain more power, and they've been able to help their fellow players along with that, too. Mm, well, you guys have been totally generous with your time. I'm just rounding the turn right here, um, rounding third base. I, I wanted to ask you, because a, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are more, I guess you'd call them traditional sports fans, uh, and they might be at home right now bouncing off the walls because of their absence of sports in their lives. What, what would you say to the folks who want to enter this world because they're craving competition, craving the, the sense of community, craving sports? Like, how do you take that first step into this incredible, uh, incredible universe that you've described for us? Well, 
I think one, I, I think it's also important to have that comparison with esports and sports. I think starting off with that, um, when traditional sports fans, when they look at esports, and of course, when they look at certain competitive scenes, like for example, Overwatch, Overwatch, uh, Overwatch League, and uh, the game itself is is a hard game to just instantly pick up and watch unless you play the game yourself. Because there's so much going on there, there's so many nuances to it compared to like uh, Call of Duty League, right? With Call of Duty, you know, there's a person, they got a gun, they got to shoot someone else, right? So mm-hmm. with that, um, there are certain there are certain leagues that are a lot harder to get into um, unless you yourself play that game. So one, it's also encouraging that I think this is a great time now that if there is a game or if there is a league that you're interested in and from, from uh, traditional sports fans, um, if you're looking to, to watch something, then pick up the game, pick up the game yourself and, and start playing with it, right? I think like right now is a great opportunity to do so because we have this self-quarantine or you should be self-quarantined. I think also there there are certain similarities that we see with traditional sports and esports. Like of course, one, you know, like I said, the the homestand concept that we see with the Overwatch League and Call of Duty Pro League, it's very similar to the home versus away that we see with NBA and NFL city-based franchise like New York City. New York City has a Call of Duty team called Subline Earth, and they also have an Overwatch League team called NYXL. Um, with those leagues, other cities have uh, their various, or a few cities within the U.S. have their other um, branded teams within those competitive scenes. Um, I think another thing, too, is, you know, uh, just like we see with NBA players, NFL players are competing. They're trying to win. There's a, there's a team versus another team. It's the same thing we see with esports. There's a team versus another team. Or if we're looking at the fighting game community, it's a, one individual going up against another individual. The same competitive environments and the same competitive energy that we see from traditional sports, we do see in esports. And then another thing, too, is, you know, now we're seeing – on some of these traditional sports leagues that are starting to utilize the, uh, uh, certain video games, or they themselves already have established their esports uh, scene, like with NASCAR. NASCAR already had iRacing and eNASCAR. Uh, NBA already had the NBA 2K League. Uh, Madden's a little bit different. NFL, quote unquote, Madden's a little bit different because Madden doesn't have their um, the competitive players aren't like set with like oh this is the eagles rep or this is like they don't have that right now but um even with the nfl they're starting to figure out ways to implement video games um or have their players get involved into the esports team so i think like right now like especially for traditional sports fans um you can watch go go you know if you if you like nascar then go watch iRacing. that's still going on and it's going to be i think there's another competition that's coming up on fox as well fox sports um, you watch, go on Twitch and, and watch that. And if you don't know how to use Twitch, there's YouTube. You can go on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Overwatch League and the Call of Duty Pro League are all on YouTube because of an, a, a partnership agreement that happened uh, not too long ago before the season. So you can go and check out previous competitions on there. I think like right now, like traditional sports fans, if they're looking for, for something to watch, they should watch, but they also shouldn't be afraid because there are similarities between traditional sports and esports. I mean, of course, there's diff, there's different, there's different, there's different rules, there's different regulations, and there's different structuring, right? The same way that MLB is gonna and baseball have different rules than the NFL and have different rules to the NBA because it's a different sport. It's the same thing that we see with esports. The rules that we see with the Overwatch League 
and and just how that's played is going to be different than the call than Call of Duty, which is going to be different than League of Legends. But they're still under the same umbrella, and they're still all competitive, and they still all have elements that are similar across the board, no matter what competitive scene that you're watching. The same thing that we see with traditional sports. So um, they can tune in via TV because I I guarantee you a lot of sports leagues are going to start to add gaming and esports into their TV rotations. I'm not going to be surprised if even other networks are going to be doing that as well, so they can just tune in. Um, but uh, but also take the time to just learn. I think that like when people people before wrote off esports and they wrote off you know content streaming and they wrote these things off because there's always been a stigma with gaming, whether it's like oh. It, you know, them being nerds or this is not competitive. This doesn't, this doesn't take strategy or anything like that. I think now it's kind of like a, it's kind of a catch-22 because now traditional sports fans, they're forced to watch this if, if they want to watch anything competitive because there's no sports. Exactly. This is a great opportunity, but this is a great opportunity for them to step back and be like, you know what? Let me not judge this and let me take the time to learn. And that's the thing, like the people in the esports gaming community, like we're open to people watching we're open to people coming into the scene but just come in and be like listen i don't know anything i want to learn and then there are people in this in this, these two communities and, and multiple communities that are, are willing to teach or willing to help and maybe that's something that esports has to do maybe you know now is a good time to not only have content that uh, that appeases your current fan base but maybe this is the time for the competitive scenes or you know the devs or just anyone to start creating content that helps to introduce these traditional sports fans and help them feel comfortable with watching the competitive team or watching the content that's being put up um, so I think that, you know, with that, there, there is a great opportunity for learning curve um, to be developed from traditional sports fans. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, they just need to know that it's a competition. Esports is a competition. No matter what you're watching, it's a competition just like sports is. Mm. And, and and of course, like, look, nothing in the situation is good right now. And everyone, uh, safety is, is ahead and health is the most um, the biggest priority in our industry but look for all you sports fans there's nothing else going on all right you can't mm-hmm. go watch anything <laughs> else you have nothing to do right now um nascar as, as we mentioned it really is going to be on fox not only fox sports it had so many viewers on fox sports one last week that they were able to push it on fox this week for most people you probably couldn't tell the difference that they were actually playing a video game on Fox instead of uh, instead of the real, the real thing. So I think especially racing is racing games aren't really at all one of the biggest games in esports. But because the virtual reality aspect of how the game is so photo photorealistic and how it looks, maybe even more than any other you know sports game like a Madden or an NBA comparatively, racing has a huge opportunity, especially without something like iRacing where they've actually built. Um, these you know thousand dollar setups, which really try to imitate um, the reality of racing a, a car. Now this is really it. Really has been uh, such a great job that NASCAR has done, and even Formula One has done to um, put on these races. We're going to have another one tomorrow. I think it's going to be huge. I think it's going to be much bigger than the race last week. I think everyone should be able to tune in that and see how cool it is that we're able to put on a race with everyone racing from home, all the drivers from home, and you really can't tell the difference unless you know what you're looking at. And in another case, you have Overwatch League, um, Call of Duty League, and the League of Legends Championship Series, all events that have taken place either in the Los Angeles studio of Riot Games or now with the Activision Blizzard. Each of the leagues are in different cities. 
Um, they had to cancel because of everything that has happened. But one week later, Riot was able to move the entire League of Legends Championship Series and the European Championship online. So both uh, uh, leagues have had their seasons continue. Every other traditional sports league have had to postpone their entire season. Esports is the only competitive league in the world that has been able to put their entire regular season and reschedule it in less than a week, and they get games broadcasted again live for everyone out there at home. So Overwatch League started only a few hours ago. Uh, they, they restarted their league a few hours ago in China. Um, they had the first games in China have happened now. They actually went off with it without a hitch. There's a good amount of viewers, and Overwatch League will continue into today. So while the NBA and the NFL and European soccer is going to be off for probably another four to five months, and I doubt that the baseball season is going to come back either, eSports is here to watch now. And we're not just talking about, like, you know, makeshift events that they're having to make up. They are continuing the top one, the the, the, the top tier uh, professional league to be able to watch. No, it's not going to be the same competitive uh, integrity as you have all of the players and teams playing at a physical location at one time. But that is the beauty of esports, and that is how we built our industry to begin with. We've been playing against each other on the internet for over 20 years. Um, that is what it makes us special. And now with everything happening, this is where um, the gaming community can show that people can come together. Um, that iRacing NASCAR event, I've seen so many comments online that have shown from NASCAR fans that they had nothing to do, and this allowed them to talk with their friends and talk with their family and get together on a virtual um, aspect and still have that same feelings in a really difficult time right now where people are alone and you know they don't have as many people to talk to. Sports, that is one of the great things that sports does, and esports too. So while everyone is stuck inside and esports can provide that same communal aspect and the same professional competitive aspect is why gaming is a unique thing. Wow. And uh, it, I, I really do appreciate the time that y'all have given to this. Um, is there anything that we're missing? Anything you want to talk about in terms of uh, the role of esports and the role of gaming in our Corona in our Corona world? Well, I would say, I think the last thing that I would say is, is we, 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 we joke about how, you know, gamers were, were born and ready for the self-quarantine. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> usually we're staying inside gaming. Um, but I, I hope this is a great opportunity for people to learn how social gaming is. Uh, before, anytime they looked at gaming, they thought it was like, oh, waste of time. Like, what are you doing? Like, and, a, and there's various people, there's various gamers, and even like myself, right? Like, I, I developed friendships with certain people in gaming and esports via Discord, via Twitter, uh, via just online gameplay, you know, at times before I even met them in person. Um, and, and that was a component, a social component that even before social media, gamers were doing. And so I hope that with this experience of people, you know, staying safe, more importantly, um, but then also with the self-quarantine, if they're getting involved, whether it is watching iRacing, whether it is playing themselves, I hope they can, I hope they are able to further understand and see and learn how social gaming can be. Even if, even from the perspective of you being at home, talking to someone across, you know, to another, another country, another state via discord via just uh you know online gameplay so right now it's it's so it's it's so for me i'm excited because 
I'm super excited to see how people are going to just further see how social social it is um, and how there are social components to gaming that I'm hoping that when everything clears up and everything gets better, um, that will still be at the forefront of people's minds and change their perspectives when it comes to esports and gaming overall. Mm. Uh, I think for me, uh, I'm all about, you know, the unified message of how gaming and esports can bring people together through these hard times, how we have a very unique opportunity um, to do things. Um, because I have already mentioned that, I just wanted to leave off with um, all of you people who are really upset that esports and video games are on your television, all you are taking over. That's too bad because we are only going to get bigger and bigger. The industry is only going to get and going to continue to grow. If you're really upset that people are calling esports a sport, if you're a huge Colin Coward fan and you subscribe to what he's saying, well, you're just going to continue to get more mad as time goes on. I will be there to document your you being mad on the internet. I will let everyone know how mad you are online. I will help uh, amplify that message to all of my followers so we can all laugh at you. Um, and it is a great time for uh, video, video, video games and esports. You better get in now, or we're just going to leave you behind. Mm, and I'll just add, if you're a Colin Cowherd fan and listening to this, find another podcast, because I don't think I want you <laughs> anywhere around here. Speaks too poorly for you as an individual. Hey, um, I really appreciate your guys' time. Thank you so much. This was so generous for a novice like myself. I think you guys broke down the political economy of this with, with, with brilliance. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, no problem at all. Thank you for thank you as as someone who you know is from the, the traditional sports traditional side taking the time to speak with us. You know, not everyone does that. Uh, not everyone wants to take the time to speak to us. So I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm into it. Be be well, everybody. Thank Likewise. You too. We'll be back right after this, but first, a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now, I've got some choice words about the activist athlete in the time of coronavirus. You know, I often use this space to talk about those activist athletes, the jocks who use their hyper-exalted, brought-to-you-by-Nike platforms to try to say or do something about the problems plaguing our world. Of course, right now, the dominant, all-encompassing problem plaguing our world is plague. Our games have, for all intents and purposes, shut down. 24-hour sports networks are contorting themselves into pretzels in an effort to fill the hours. Using home studios and without the help of makeup artists, these modeled souls are just days away from having to turn to debates about whether Pete Rose belongs in the Hall of Fame. And as for athletes, they, like so many of us, have turtled with their families to wait COVID-19 out, hoping against hope that they'll be able to go back to work. Now, in this utterly uncharted context, it raises the question of what a socially conscious athlete can do. And thank the heavens, we got some quite inspiring and at times heartbreaking examples 
from just this past week. One action is the most basic and human of all, that of transparency. We learned on Friday that ESPN basketball announcer Doris Burke has contracted the virus. Burke wants to be open about what she's going through as a way to speak to others about the importance of health, safety, and social distancing. Carl Anthony Towns, the all-star center for the Minnesota Timberwolves, has taken to Instagram to speak about how both his parents are now suffering through the virus. His mother, Jacqueline Cruz, is in a medically induced coma and has been put on a respirator. Through tears, he's trying to warn people to take this as seriously as possible. Rudy Gobert, called the patient zero of the NBA, has been open about his symptoms and recovery. These are difficult stories but they serve the mighty purpose of letting people know that anyone can contract the virus, and when we forego social distancing, the risk is real. Another way to raise awareness was seen on Thursday and pulled off by the Golden State Warriors MVP guard Steph Curry. He held an Instagram live chat with Dr. Anthony Fauci and actually was able to ask many of the common sense questions that never seem to be answered in Trump's daily media rallies because the orange one takes up so much space with his blithering ignorance. Curry asked about comparing the flu to coronavirus and whether warm weather could actually help mitigate its effects and more. People should check it out and join the over 50,000 people who tuned in to see it live. It was an admirable use of Curry's cultural capital to raise not only awareness, but intelligence. Perhaps the most significant way an athlete can now make a difference in people's lives is if they leverage their fame to shame, as in shame the billionaire class to do the right thing and support their workers through these hardships. We saw this earlier in the week when Philadelphia 76ers star center Joel Embiid pledged 500 grand for COVID-19 relief in local communities, as well as helping those Sixers employees who would have been hurt this pushed, within only an hour, the 76ers' ownership to backtrack on their intention to reduce pay by 20% of all their at-will employees from April 15th through the end of June. Embiid literally stopped a pay cut for tons of people through using his fame to shame. We've seen other players, like 19-year-old Zion Williamson, leverage their fame to shame by donating their own money to pay stadium workers and then force ownership to scurry up and pledge to do the same. Outside the world of sports, one would be hard-pressed to find any members of the billionaire class stepping up to fight this virus. Far from giving, they are taking in the form of a $500 billion slush fund courtesy of Mitch McConnell. But in sports, they've actually ponied up some money, and without players pushing them to do so, it is difficult to imagine that they would have done anything other than cut back. The examples above should give people hope about what athletes can do amid the corona crisis. They can raise awareness, be open with their struggles, use social media, or push their billionaire bosses to actually do something. It might not seem like much, but at a moment where helplessness and fear seem to be the dominant and guiding emotions, there's definitely a sense of hope that comes with seeing players with a conscience exercise that conscience in the most difficult of circumstances. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. 
people got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, Back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's the time of the part of the show that we play the Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down Awards game. I tell you who deserves the Just Stand Up Award, who has stood up in the world of sports, and who needs to sit their butts down. The Just Stand Up Award. I feel like I've already mentioned his name, but Joel Embiid. I can't say again how important it is to so many people in the Philadelphia area that he shamed the bosses of the Philadelphia 76ers to actually pony up and pay their employees. Very well done to Joel Embiid. The Just Sit Your Ass Down Award goes to the governor, what we used to call the franchise owner of the Houston Rockets, Tillman Fertitta. Who's a billionaire... uh, billionaire vulture uh tillman fertita he laid off forty thousand hotel casino and restaurant workers to keep the liquidity so he could buy back debt created so that he used to buy the rockets if that makes sense uh so he put so he laid off forty thousand people just so he could do a buyback uh of debt created and it's disgusting and in these times, it just, I think, shines a light on how little the billionaires have done to actually try to help uh, this historic world crisis. So Tillman Fertitta, sit your ass down. Uh, well, that's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you, thank you so much to uh, Slasher, Rod Breslau. And to Aaron Ashley Simon, uh, thank you to everybody out there listening to the show. Uh, please be safe. Please self-quarantine. Please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done.